when these trends start to go out of whack, that's when I need to, when it gets more than 5%, it's a 10%, you know, what is that number? And trying, but so that means you need to be at the micro level and really have an understanding of what things affect this thing. What would, what would make this thing go off the rails? And sometimes you don't not recognize it because you're not thinking about it. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Is the controller a lead accountant? Are they responsible for preparing financial reporting? for a business unit? Are they responsible for planning, budgeting, and spending? Do they work with the CFOs to manage both strategic and tactical activities? Are they also responsible for IT projects such as ERP implementation? Are they also responsible for FP&A? Is there a difference between a controller and a controller? Does the role vary depending upon the size of the organization and geography? But most importantly, what are the KPIs? that a controller needs to serve their responsibilities. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss the top KPIs for controllers and VP of Finance. We discussed the differences between these roles and how the roles might differ per geography, size of the company, and the industry. We also discussed the top KPIs that they need to be successful in their roles. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you're joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformations for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. And for today, we have a very interesting topic for a very, very important role. Uh, and that is going to be part of the LP team, which is controller as well as VP of finance. We are going to talk about the KPIs that are going to matter for them. So before we get into the topic, we are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, Sam Gupta, principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. On that note, I am going to move to Chris. Uh, Chris, can I ask you to introduce? Sure. Chris Caradini, president of Turnkey Technologies, been implementing Dynamics ERP solutions for the past 30 plus years. So uh, glad to be here and talking about the topic. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Bob, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Sure, Sam. I'm Bob Feathers. I work at Bindable. We are a SaaS provider in the insure tech space, uh, but I come here with over 30 years of manufacturing, including ERP. In the cool space. Thank you so much for being here, Bob. Uh, ben, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yep. Thanks, Sam. Good to be back. Uh, ben Cole, President of ERP Connect. Uh, our focus is on developing and deploying 
apps and app stores for D365 Business Central and Business Central. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, man. Narav, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Sam. Narav Shasi of uh, AdSource CRP and Acumatical Solutions um, in many different industries, the D2C manufacturing space. So happy to be here and talk about this topic. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Narav. If you are in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys post your questions and comments. We typically like to cover them during the show. If you don't have time, our panelists are going to make sure that you guys are going to receive your answers. On that note, I am going to start with the first question with Chris. And Chris, when um, I heard the term controller for the first time, it was in one of the CPA meetings. Okay, so I'll give you a little backstory there. And I had no idea what controller really meant. Um, okay, so in this particular case, they were like, you know what? The we don't necessarily make any decisions here. Obviously, you came here to get some sort of leads, right? Uh, and you need to talk to at least at the controller level. And that's when I sort of came to know the term controller. Uh, you know who they are, and overall, when you look at the controller term, it differs when you talk about the controller in the U.S., U.K. I don't know if you have any sort of background there. There's a little difference in terms of what controllers do. Organizational size certainly impacts those roles because, you know, if you think about C-suite, SMB, small companies don't always have chief financial officers. They don't always have a VP finance. Do they have a controller, accounting manager? I mean, it's interesting how those those roles change just the title based on size. But in smaller and medium organizations, a controller could be the highest level accounting authority depending on the size of the organization. So, and you're right, in international markets, it changes. They have different definitions about what people do and, you know, what's a finance director versus a controller versus, yeah, so to your point. So, um, but the word control, it implies what you'd expect. Can they can they control certain aspects of, of the business from their perspective and from their position? And I think as you pivot into the topic of BI, business intelligence about the controller, right? What do they need to see to do their job? Right. What is the key thing a controller should do? What are they controlling? Most important thing to control? Cash. Right. It's always cash is king. We start with cash. Yeah, I'll get the inventory later, but cash. And so I think first and foremost, as you look at, you know, just the visibility and you know, what does cash look like, though? So cash could be an, it's, it's asset. Right. We're, we're working the balance sheet to some degree. We're certainly looking at income statement because it impacts cash flow. But um, cash position, cash flow, cash forecast. Again, these are these are huge indicators as you think about just what do they they tell you a lot. They tell you a lot about behavior on your receivables and your purchasing. They also tell you about trends that may be occurring in sales and in procurement and in inventory that nobody knows about. Hey, why is my cash going down if my sales are going up? Is AR going up? Oh, somebody's buying more inventory. So you heard me just mention multiple dimensions around cash that kind of takes that step down into asset changes and changes in asset value. And so, you know, again, I'm starting there. It's the core part of the balance sheet, certainly cash flow and being able to drill down. That's the big macro micro and, uh, you know, growth on in. So we talked about assets a little bit, receivables. And again, it's a it's a it's a macro micro where, OK, what are we looking for? We're looking for average days. I mean, just high level metrics that say, hey, how is my AR doing? Am I you know, if I'm offering 30 day terms and I'm at 33 or 34, hey, I'm good. I'm at 47. But again, to have almost trending where I get a view of, okay, how is performance of days outstanding sales, right? Hey, you know what? We're doing a good job, meaning it tells them about the collections department is doing their job. Again, inventory value, changes in inventory value. 
right? What am I looking at? I did a, um, I did a cash flow, 12 month rolling cash flow or cash statement. People are like, okay, why is this, why are these two lines going the same way? If this one's going here, it means there's a problem. It means there's an accounting booking entry. So at a macro level, just again, some graphical illustrations of cash receivables, inventory liabilities, just the big ones can really, really give them a, a quick, but like I said, it goes beyond that. You guys here, Goody didn't say everything. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for uh, the description. And uh, I hope people are going to have something to talk about, obviously. And I'm going to actually come back to you uh, for the follow-up question before we, I do that. Uh, Abu, do you want to introduce yourself? I'm sorry. Did I get long-winded on that? That was just an intro or the first question? Anyway. No, no, you did not. I mean, see. Oh, he just jumped in. Job. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry being late today, guys. But my name is Abu. I lead the group here at Tanning. You're a sales XG partner. And I've been a finance consultant for about 15 years. So glad to be here on the show. I'm excited to hear more about it. Amazing. Thank you so much for uh, being here, Abu. And Chris, I'm actually coming back to you for the, you know, follow-up question. Sure. Uh, you know, I just wanted to make sure that uh, we are able to do production. So in today's topic, we have two different roles, Chris. So maybe you may want to touch a little bit on that. So controller and VP of finance, right? Depending upon the organization, I guess these roles could be different. They sort of spread the responsibility. And based on the roles, they are going to have different APIs. So do you want to touch a little bit on that, Chris? And again, if you look at, and I'm not an expert at the differentiating between the, the VP finance and that, but certainly in the in the in the finance role, as we talked about, there's levels of seniority in an organization, and to end up with the VP finance, we're in a larger org, and and so again, is he more capital focused? Is it is it acquisitions, return on equity? Uh, again, what is what is he top of mind for if if there's investment strategies or even some of the larger macro development? Again, typically in the CFO role, he's he's looking at acquisition. How do I grow the business myself? And I'm not a sales guy, so in the VP finance, as you look at okay, how are we using the balance sheet in the business to grow the business, either that through acquisitions or otherwise. But again, it may be a return on capital. It may be a return on equity play, and he may have a, just a different set of metrics where if the controller is that role, they're really still looking macro. Okay, are the macro operations working well, but at a higher level, if there is both roles, okay, he's not going to, she's going to tell me if, or he's going to tell me if there's a problem in AR, but maybe that's it. And I, that, that would be my my first guess, equities and return on equities. And even we're looking at moving into other markets. Um, Again, high high level forecasting, right? You know how how does that person see the future? I think the controller is probably going to be more real time, a little bit trailing. Is the is the VP finance going to be more concerned about real time and forecast? I think that may be a differentiating perspectives as well as you get how do they they lay out the trends and help guide the business more strategically. Capacity. Yeah, could not agree more. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Um, so Bob, I'm actually uh, coming over to you, and I think you asked one question related to do you weigh your AR AP days outstanding. I mean, that could be a great question. I don't know if you want to cover that. But overall, I'll give some more layers overall in my experience. And obviously, you guys can share your experience in terms of what you have seen, because each industry is going to be different. Each company is going to be different. The way they are going to be defining these roles, sometimes they are all over the place. Okay. But in my experience, uh, typically controller is going to be the director of accounting. That's how I have heard people defining, okay, they are supposed to be director of accounting. In the UK, and they were this discussion is coming from LinkedIn. So I don't know how much noise is there, okay? <laughs> because LinkedIn, you never know how true that could be, right? So they were talking about in the UK, the controller is slightly more FP&A role. And the reason why I am bringing this is because FP&A is a very different function in general, the way FP&A operates, because that's going to be your forecasting. That's not very operational role, right? But in the US, the controller is going to be slightly more 
operational role where they are defining the chart of account, making sure where everything is going, making sure approving the transaction. So that's how they sort of define. So I don't know, Bob, you know, what's been your experience overall when you distinguish between your controller as well as BPO finance role and then what are going to be their KPI? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, kind of to go on what Chris Chris was saying, and that just, again, depending on the size of the organization, but in my yeah. experience, again, the controller really was overseeing that balance sheet and, and income statement. They're really kind of the control. They were making sure that all the things were happening. And so, again, there's all those components to it, right? There's cash. They're just making sure, you know, usually the controllers I dealt with is bank reconciliation, just like you can. Is cash being handled? What are we doing with cash? But then again, making sure that the accounts receivable clerk is doing their job and the accounts payable is doing their job and just kind of keeping an eye on that. And then really to me, again, going back to this whole cash thing is inventory. Because if you're in the manufacturing, that's really one of the biggest components, this whole idea of inventory. And to Chris's point too, it's like, there's this whole control of inventory and making sure as, again, you're not buying too much, you're buying at the right time. So that really then goes back to this whole idea, right? It's control. So what I'm really trying to figure out is I'm trying to do planning. So it's kind of this whole planning piece of like, what am I, what do I plan to do? What am I think I'm going to know? What I'm, what am I doing there? Then trying to come up with predictability. Like how do I create predictability in that model to kind of understand like where I think I'm going to go. And if, and if I see anomalies, I know what to do. Like, oh, I can predict where this might change and I just need to be mindful of that or make changes, you know, kind of say, Hey guys, don't forget about this because I see this happening. And then results, right? Then you're kind of then you're also then going to the results side, which is making sure that going back to this transactions, making sure that things happen the way they're supposed to happen. Which again, there's lots of I'm sure we'll get into the end. And there are lots of good horror stories about things that you kind of go, you you finally get to the end of the thing, and then you go back and look at the rearview mirror. You're like, what is going on here? And how did we miss this? And things like that. Um, so again, the controller to me, my experience was. They really were overseeing that whole balance sheet and income statement and just making sure all these things were going through and, and interfacing with all those people inside the company, make sure those things are correctly. Yeah, could not agree more. And I think, uh, you know, you are absolutely right about the controller uh, role overall in terms of owning the income statement as well as the balance sheet. In fact, let me see if you look at some of the titles from the controller perspective. There are also going to be, and I don't know whether you guys have seen this or not. Today, I was looking at one of the titles and this was like International Business Unit controller so there are different layers and i think the the way it's almost like general manager but more from the finance perspective i don't know whether you agree with that or not bob any other follow-up commentary there by any chance yeah again you can kind of talk about this again some of the controllers that i dealt with too is they were also in charge of kind of the business intelligence right so they were kind of help to take that information gather it and then report back out a little bit like that was kind of again they're building those building the balance sheet and the income statement, then reporting back out to the executive team, like, here are the results, here's what's going on, here are the trends, maybe it's down to the people below them or some people below and saying, here's the things you guys need to look at. So again, there's this kind of, there's gathering, there's controlling, and then there's also reporting back out. Um, so again, there's usually a business intelligence piece, hopefully. Again, you may have, again, depending on the size of your company, you may have somebody just doing that, but a lot of times in my case, in the smaller, you know, small, medium size, the controller was also, again, controlling a lot of that reporting, or at least supporting a lot of that reporting to get it out there. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Bob, for that. So, Ben, I'm coming over to you. And uh, I know that you deal with a lot of different small, uh, smaller businesses, especially in the services space. And service space, in my experience, is slightly trickier, okay? There are some easier services spaces, but some of the service spaces could be very difficult. And the reason for that is because you don't sort of have that formalized queue. You don't have formalized projects. 
so it becomes very difficult how to sort of map the chart of account you know how are you going to sort of map your project sometimes a project could be a job depending upon the industry that you might be dealing with because that project could be very short run you might not go through the same process that you might go let's say in the erp space um, you know when your projects could be very long standing so overall when you look at the controller role they play a very 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 important role in general in the in the evolution of the company because they are probably the first people who are going to be coding everything and automating the accounting before it happens in the quickbooks so i don't know when over to you have you seen similar uh, you know things in your experience how do you sort of distinguish between controller and vp of finance role and what are the top kpis for them when over to you yeah, no, definitely. I think um, going off of some of Chris's and Bob's points, um, spot on in terms of just kind of the, you know, almost fluidness of controller to VP of finance in some terms, right? Because a lot of companies I work with, especially are rapidly growing. So yeah. sometimes and more often than not, the first finance or accounting person that they're hiring, you know, you can call it whatever title you want, call it controller, call it VP of finance, right? But it really starts at being a controller on day one. And turning into a VP of finance or turning into a CFO. So it really depends for me on size of the company, right? If I go to a Fortune 500 company, you're going to have multiple controllers. You're going to have a VP, multiple VP of finances, maybe a CFO. And that controller is kind of playing liaison between VP of finance, who's more strategic, and you know their staff accountants who are more, I'll call it operational, right? So you've got that mix between take what we can operationally and give it to the folks who are making this strategic decision. So again, it's it's pretty fluid in terms of company size and kind of how things grow. But at the end of the day, and like, you know, my if I looked at like a, you know, utopian world of accounting uh, group at a company, right, that controller to me is really, you know, kind of that chief bean counter, right? They need to make sure that the data is good. They need to make sure that all, you know, all the T's are crossed, all the I's are dotted and making sure that their staff is getting them the data that they need uh, in a timely manner and in an accurate manner. So I know I was on a podcast, I believe, previously with Chris, where we talked for an hour just about cash. So I would definitely agree that cash is king. But in the controller's case, I would also argue that data is king because you can't get a lot of that reporting and analytics if the data is just garbage, right? So I don't even start to look at inventory or cash flow or anything like that until I look at does my AR and AP tie subledger to general ledger? If not, I need to figure that out before I can build any sort of KPIs. And so when I look at controller KPIs first, I'm really looking at balance checks. Do things tie out? Does income statement flow to balance sheet correctly? Does the balance sheet balance? You'd be surprised how often it doesn't uh, somehow. Um, not, not sure how that happens, but it seems to happen more often than we'd like. And really getting kind of that foundation in place before we start to build, you know, whatever we're about to build. If you spend that time constructing the chart of accounts and constructing the rules and regulations and procedures that need to be in place from an internal and audit standpoint, uh, I think it enables you to grow much quicker at a much less uh, headache rate, right? Because you have the, the structure in place that gives you what you need um, going forward. So when I look at it, again, really depends on company size and what you're asking and looking for. But in kind of that utopian world for me, it's that liaison between your staff, you know, AR, AP, clerks, uh, whatever else you might have, treasury or whatnot, and then the VP of finance or the CFO who's making those uh, strategic decisions. So again, in that case, data is king and I need the data to be perfect before I can start to forecast out any sort of KPIs really, in, in my opinion. 
So that's a very interesting commentary there. And I especially loved your comment related to balance sheet, not balancing. And uh, I mean, you it's definitely crazy. need to give me a little story there. You know, uh, my understanding was that it would balance probably in the QuickBooks as well. But maybe people are far more creative now. <laughs> it <laughs> always works, Sam. Come on, you know that. People are, people are creative. <laughs> Uh, any other KPIs there by any chance, Ben, when you are looking at, let's say, if I look at my balance sheet, I'm a controller. I want to make sure that my balance sheet is going to balance, okay? Uh, and I'm creating some sort of KPIs that I can take a look so that it's always going to balance. In your experience, let's say if it does not balance, how would you create a controller? Yeah, so we've actually built a lot of tools around like balance checks and things like that. So kind of like I mentioned, AR and AP, uh, inventory are pretty much in cash are pretty much the four things I look at. Because those are always going to have, or at least they should have, a subledger, and th that subledger data should be flowing through to uh, your balance sheet. So those are the first kind of, you know, quote unquote KPIs that I would look at when analyzing the health of a balance sheet. And then, you know, more often than not, uh, depending on how bad it is, uh, just take some digging into to to correct. But after that is, you know, all good. Uh, some of the top KPIs I would say are looking at your AP, AR, and cash, right? Because AP and AR are going to lead to cash. And from an AP side, really evaluating it to see how you're performing for your vendors. Are there any you know, payment discounts that we're not taking uh, advantage of that we could to save some money? And really just the health overall of both making sure your vendors are, are paid on time within the realm of uh, their payment term um, and really optimizing your cash flow there. Same on AR, really evaluating your customers to see average paydays of customers and things like that in order to say, you know, who are good customers who are, you know, customers in the middle and who are customers that aren't so hot in terms of paying on time um, and really doing some analysis around that because it all leads to that cash position, that cash flow. Um, a lot of different tools for cash flow out there. A lot are just going to look at when do we think the cash is going to come in. That's not a great way to uh, forecast cash. You should be forecasting on when what's your customer's behavior in the past. I don't care if your payment terms are net 30. If they always pay on 60, you know, just because the payment terms are 30, they're probably not going to pay on Thursday. So I'd say AR, AP, all even cash. Again, cash is king, but uh, that'd be my my top uh, top three probably KPIs. When okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Ben, for that. So, Narav, I'm coming over to you now. Uh, and in your experience, uh, how do you, the controller as well as BBO Finance role differ? Do they have different KPIs, same KPIs, any KPIs that you have seen in your experience for these? Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, both these different positions have different KPIs. They have different viewpoints in the business, yeah. right? Um, and once you start identifying, you know, what each position is doing, it pretty quickly becomes clear on the different APIs that you're going to you're gonna introduce into the company and have conversation around. So examples of that, I was just jotting some stuff down here. For a controller, for example, it could be gross profit margin. Right. They need to know based on sales and costs, what's our margin right now? Right. Are we making our margin? Are we not making our margin? What's going on with manufacturing? That kind of starts cascading in a waterfall. And let's get a little bit more efficient, start identifying trouble issues. Another one is operating expense ratio. Right. That's another one that you can look at your expenses that are flowing through here. How is it? How is it different to my operations overall? What's it doing with my overhead and, and all that? Right. Now you look at the finance side, right? Strategically looking at investing and more treasury type of uh, functionality. You're looking at debt to equity ratios, essentially for a more finance oriented type of type of role, right? You go back to the accounting side, uh, a controller, day sales outstanding, right? It's not really financial, but that's more on the you know booking side. Like saying, hey, how are you essentially gonna go ahead and take those sales and why are they staying out there longer than, right? Uh, then you're looking at return on investment, more on the finance side. Um, and then you're going to cash and ca cash conversion cycle, right? That could be both. 
right? Depending on who the audience, who are we talking to at the end of the day? So if we try to go ahead and identify strategically what these positions are going to be doing, what are they looking at, developing those KPIs to make for that position successful, because you can't have one person look at all the KPIs. You need to have the right person look at the right KPIs so they could get that continuing feedback from measuring that KPI to make business decisions, refining that KPI, and improving productivity for the organ overall. Okay, amazing insights there. Um, and we have the contribution from the background as well, I guess. Uh, yeah. You know, somebody <laughs> super excited about the controller KPIs. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize about that. No, you don't have to. (laughs) Thank you so much, Naraf, for that. So I'm going to have one follow-up question, I guess, uh, you know, and that is going to be when I look at the, and maybe I will start with Abu for now, uh, Naraf, if you want. Um, Take care of that. Yeah. Thank you so much. (laughs) So Abu, uh, when I look at the controller role, I think one of the things that nobody has brought up so far, in my experience, when I look at the controller role, I always start of the controller role as slightly more operational in me okay and uh, when i say operational meaning costing okay costing i think controllers are the first ones who bring the costing mindset in the organization before that they are going to have a lot of macro kpis uh, but they don't sort of understand you know how much the real cost of a product or project is until the controller is really introduced in the operations, to be honest. And that is going to be, let's say, if the business or business unit is going to be roughly, what, $10, $20 million in revenue, then only they sort of start tightening the belt in terms of the, the costing, the product offering, looking at the, the margins, uh, you know, at the product level. So, Abu, I don't know, Amici, do you uh, share that opinion? What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those uh, factors. I mean, you have cost control, especially in the manufacturing environment, you have a special accountant just doing costing for the work orders. But before, you know, we, you know, it's another metric. Before we get into it, I think from my perspective, uh, the definition of a controller would be person responsible for making sure accounting is done properly uh, within the company, right? Uh, whether the journal entries are getting posted properly. Is your month end, you know, that's probably one of the biggest things which I think you know, we talked about. The controller's job is to make sure that the month end is done properly. It's done correctly, right? Is your inventory man- map uh, equal to your sub-ledger GL account? Or is your AR equal to your sub-ledger account? So making sure all of those, all of that data is correct, that would be the key part of the, um, you know, controller's job is to make sure month end is on time, right? And the other key aspect would be for a controller position would be reporting. So that would be like tax reporting. That would be, you know, everybody talked about balance sheet and income statement. Obviously, that's an important role. Um, so from a reporting perspective to internal, from a balance sheet income perspective and to external, for example, if you have bank loan, you know, you have a requirement to report. I have to report, you know, they have very extensive reporting requirements. You know, how much cash do you have? How much AR do you have? How much inventory is tied? A lot of different things that the controller has to. A VP of finance as the organization grows bigger would have you know, additional like budgeting and AR managers, uh, AP managers. Treasury would be important, right? So that cash availability as the organization go, in my opinion, would be for a treasurer to manage, to make sure that they have enough cash in the company to fulfill the AR and the AP obligations, right? So uh, so, from, so finance, so VP of finance would be now then overlooking all of these key functions. And especially if it's a public company, then you know financial reporting to external stock exchange, external investors, 
uh, that also becomes uh, much more important and then which is outside of the controller roles generally uh, financial. So that would be from my perspective, uh, you know, the diff- key differentiation. Controller responsible for making sure that the accounting is done on time uh, and correctly, right? Uh, rather than, you know, making uh, more business decisions. His role is to support the decision making, making sure that the data is available on time to support it. So from, from that perspective, if you look at it, it, then the process has become more, you know, you probably, they probably have, they have a general checklist. You know, if the AR closed, have you invoiced everything out? Are all the invoices paid from, a, can we close the month from an AP? Can we close the stock accounting period, right? So if, you clo- if you're unable to close the stock accounting period, that means your month end is getting delayed. So that would be the operational, um, you know, for the KPIs that we generally talk to controllers about, making sure that they're meeting those key. And then you can obviously have cost controllers and you can have different other aspects. You can subdivide that role in different uh, ways and methods. Uh, but that, those will be the key KPIs in my Very interesting perspective there. And I like the layer that you brought in related to month end. And typically when you look at month end, when you look at any journey of the company, right? I mean, see, in their journey, initially they are probably not going to have any sort of strict financial yeah. periods, okay? They are going to define them probably, I don't know, at what point they sort of become very regulated that, okay, fifth is the finance close. After that, we are not going to be posting any data. Nobody is going to be allowed. So that's when I guess they are going to have some sort of KPA. Go ahead. Go ahead, Abu. Yeah. So I think those hard lines come in when you have, for example, now the company has grown and now they've taken a large bank loan. Believe me, they have some very strict uh, reporting requirements, right? They would need, the bank would need the reports on the 5th or the 6th. They will define those dates. And if you consistently miss those deadlines, then they'll pull your credit line. So when they, when you start defining those dates, that's when, you know, the hard deadlines start coming. You know, I need the books closed by the 5th because the books are not closed. And it, it means that my data, my inventory data is changing. My AR data is changing that it, what I'm reporting to the bank no longer works, right? It has a data inaccuracy. If you're a stock listed company, and you can be a startup and be listed on the stock exchange, right? Some very different uh, controller requirements come into play, right? So you have to have like, you cannot miss a reporting deadline on the stock exchange. If you miss it twice, you cannot meet the CFO any longer, right? You can miss your uh, financial license. So so those are the times when, you know, those deadlines become very strict. If you're a mid-size, small-size organization, if you're still running on QuickBooks, Maybe you just do once a year, right? Nobody cares. But if you're trying to differentiate between a controller and a VP, that's between larger organizations, and they'll start to have more regulated uh, clothing processes. Go ahead, go ahead, Bob. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to kind of pull this thread a little more to tie some of these these thoughts together, because um, I really appreciate the month-end piece. So from a micro level, right, this whole kind to this kind of controller, right, controlling things, is, this means, you know, so certainly you need to have deadlines, right? We kind of talked about planning, predictability, and results. You need to know those results so you can keep moving forward because you don't really know what, you're, what you've done. How do you know what you're doing, right? So you kind of, otherwise, you're just always, no one knows. But when we're talking about the data, we're talking about this month-end closing. Okay, we need to close by X. We can start making decisions about where we are and making sure we don't get off track is I need to make sure my data is right, which also means I need to strictly make sure my processes are right. So if you think about the controller, here's another component of this at a micro level, which is helping to build the processes within the organization with all those teams and just really making sure they're buttoned up so you can, in fact, meet those deadlines and meet those goals. So again, controllers should have some level of that 
that being able to document these things and build processes and build work with it and work with the systems and get the right data, you know, so that's kind of part of that whole component. I want to touch on your thing about inventory. Yes, in my experience, I would think or I always wanted my controllers to have more inventory and kind of cost accounting savvy. They just never did. And that's really coming back to kind of being more kind of the accountant side, more that, you know, whether you're being really more the strategic kind of making sure the books are right versus the operational side. Um, in my experience, none of them were operational. They were more on the other side. Um, and But luckily you had cost accountants, right? You had the operational guy to help you out, but it would be helpful sometimes. They had a little better understanding of why things work or don't work. Going back to which uh, Nerev said, which is gross profit. I mean, that's another, that's, again, that's really one of the baselines to building cash is, are we making stuff profitable? We're out there to plan it. Is it working? Are we, you know, do we have all the right people? Do we have all the right equipment? Do we have all the right um, materials, the right time? You know, does all those types of things start to come into play at that kind of micro level? Okay, amazing insights there. And guys, if you have any comments or stories, please feel free to unmute and just let me know. Chris, coming over to you. Okay, deadlines. Very interesting, right? The reason why deadlines matter is if you have to deal with guys like me. Okay, you don't want to be asking for timesheets as well as receipts. Okay, you are never going to get them. <laughs> Unless you define a deadline. <laughs> I think they're, they're performance objectives. And I think that it's like setting budgets. No budget, no target. Set a target. And so we live in a world where we've got electronic checklists. We can tell who's not done what they should do so that we can drive the month-end process. Because guess what? It impacts the business. It's just it does. And, you know, you mentioned timesheets, WIP, project managers. If you look at the dependencies that other people have on data, and we go back to data, right, Ben? You need the data. And you need it timely and you need to be able to see it timely. And I think that, you know, month-end performance checklist, it's a big deal. Because one of the things, how long does it take you to close your month? Oh, my God, three. It's six weeks before we get a financial. That's rear-view mirror stuff, dudes. We can't live like that. You know, you can't. And so, anyway, we keep going on that. Yeah, a little red while you're doing that. Um, VP Finance, a.k.a. CFO, it's interesting they interchange that a little bit. But we didn't mention risk, but I was right about investment management. So if you think about it at a macro level, the controller they're not worried about risk and they really aren't worried about investments, return on investments, but that's where that higher level role is. You look at just, and I think it's, it's a leadership position versus a controller may not be in that upper circle. So yeah. a few differentiators, but again, I've heard a lot of great KPIs and you, and you still go back to what are the ones that help them really indirectly see what's going on because based on experience, there's a lot of KPIs that are misleading, right? Oh, it looked great. It's accrual. What's that mean? That means it doesn't mean anything until the cash is in the bank, right? We're back to cash again. But, you know, Bob was right about inventory. Inventory is a loose goose because, you know, if you go back to mins and maxes and even even the controller and the guy above saying, well, how much how much are we trying to replenish? And what's our cube? And, you know, what's what's the what's the, the, the capital at the min and the max? And, and then inventory turnovers, you know, so then you go back to this you know, drilling down into some of that. And if the controllers really has that, because they should have some, they shouldn't say, oh, something's wrong, go figure it out. They, they you know, again, to suggest as to which which analysis you're looking at, right? Non-moving, right? If you really, if they say, let's take a look at that capital item, that inventory is a balance sheet item and get a little bit more lower level metrics on, okay, what's not moving? Meaning out of that 10 million in asset, you mean 8 million of it we haven't touched in three years? Oh, so, you know, analysis, to that next level about inventory and capital. And, you know, on the AR side is, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I got AI climbing in my world where, man, it's going to tell you right away, hey, he's not going to pay that invoice. I just generated. He's not going to pay it. AI is going to tell you. So 
the advanced analytics for the, on how to proactively manage different customers, those are those are features that are coming into play. But it is the controller's role to kind of oversee, even if they have a collection, to escalate, to elevate, right, to the to the high priority items, even if there's like staff members. So anyway, just a few other reasons. Great examples. And I'm probably going to give you a story there, uh, you know, overall in terms of the KPIs. Some of them could be, I don't know how meaningful they are going to be. Uh, but when you have been a content for a very long time, you sort of develop the KPIs in your head that you can detect from. Okay, that's going to be your AI that gets fired up, I guess, in your head. So this is a story coming from, you know, our business. And uh, as the controller, you are not going to be reviewing every single transaction. You need to be reviewing the books at the macro level and figure out if everything is right or not. Once you file the taxes and, you know, if anything happens after that, you are probably going to be in trouble, right? So in this particular case, you know, in and I'm talking about our own book. Uh, in this case, we had HST, the total amount of HST that gets filed and the revenue that was there, which was higher than the actual revenue for the period. And, you know, we didn't notice. The bookkeeper did not notice. And the accountant actually came back. And they have not looked at any single transaction because they don't see it. The only thing <clears throat> they see is the financial statement. And they could figure this out. So they have these KPIs in their head. I don't know what KPIs they keep or, you know, but they have a lot of KPIs that they can use as a lever to identify whether there are going to be any sort of problems in the books or not. So, Chris, uh, you know, any other follow up commentary by any chance there? Yeah, and I think I think to that point, it's it's balance sheet components. And again, based on mixed experiences, we found some real problems on balance sheet for people that, you know, it should have been on the P&L. And what's that tell you? You ain't making as much money as you think you're making. So, you know, you go back to that liquidity factor. But again, to have other metrics that are tying out balance sheet that, that flag, this ratio is inappropriate. I use the example where cash and AR were going down and sales looks good. I'm sorry. That's that does not that mathematically is, is improper. Everybody's like, really? Well, yeah. I mean, if sales are good, either AR and cash is going down, AR should be going up. Right. Where's that element? Where are we losing? Right. And so that's one that you look at AR and like. AR looks good. It's actually getting better. Sales are good. Cash, well, I don't know what's happening. There. But so triangulating metrics across the balance sheet and, you know, other experiences in looking at what is hitting in the in the assets and the liabilities that really is on the income should be prepaid expenses, accruals. You know, hey, you know, I, I had this conversation. We found a quarter of a million dollars in loss that was on the balance sheet that had to hit the P&L. Nobody knew. How could they? They didn't know. A lot of cash in the bank. The wheels are moving. But again, as you go back to getting down to that next level of, to your point, dependent metrics. Great insight. Thank you so much for that. Abu, do you have a comment? You unmuted yourself? Uh, you can hear me, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think you're talking about metrics in terms of how how your accountant is making sure the data is accurate. I mean, I'll, I'll have a comment for you need a new bookkeeper, but. From an inventory perspective, you know, the first thing, if you are running a distribution company or a manufacturing company, there are two metrics which every controller looks at, you know, when you run your inventory valuation report, does it match the GL or not, right? It never matches, right, at month end. So that's the key role, right? So they have to make sure that it matches every month. If they try to do it at the year end, it's a lot of data to fix. The other, if you're a manufacturing company, the thing that they look at, does your WIP matches your GL, right? That's another uh, reconciliation aspect. So you have these kind of metrics where they run the reporting from a front-end perspective, from an inventory manager, and then they compare it to the sub-ledger, right? So depending on your company type, you can have those key metrics that you can run and match the reporting with the sub-ledger to figure out, you know, is your data on the right track or not. 
if it's not matching that's the first indication you're missing yeah could not agree more thank you so much abu for that bob i'm coming over to you and uh, i'm actually going to stand on the story and the only reason why i think you know these guys were able to catch because your hst revenue that you have cannot be higher than your revenue itself for the period and if it were lower i don't think it will ever get flagged <laughs> okay so that's very interesting as well because you don't really have i mean i don't know if there are any sort of kpis to tie in your sales taxes with the revenue so that's a very interesting layer overall and i guess yeah any any kpis in your experience that you have seen that really control the books because obviously the controllers are not going to monitor every single transaction in terms of sorry we went to revenue or tax you said taxes so i just want to make sure i wasn't yeah, missing so their job is to close on month end they yeah. are only approving the transactions they are not necessarily looking at okay they are probably looking at just the financial statement okay right. they so how do they make sure that the books are correct <laughs> <laughs> holy water yeah you know again this is where you have to have going back to nerves talking about like your team right you really have to rely on having the right teams and understanding their processes and, and kind of looking for the anomalies. That's always like, there's different things. I think, um, you know, we talk about, I just want to pull another, but talk about slow moving inventory. Like there's certainly areas you just got to be on top of that. I think people get away from. Um, so, but kind of back, back to your piece, really essentially needed to look for the anomalies, right? So sometimes it's just very high level where you just have some basic reports and kind of Chris hit upon it, like kind of that, like something doesn't look right. I have an anomaly, but just recognizing there's an anomaly. So trying to figure out what those, what that anomaly looks like, meaning what's the percent, what's the percentage? Like when do I kind of go like something looks off, right? Just kind of figuring out what that number is to know when you need to look into something. And then that's when you start to figure out. It's like when these trends start to go out of whack, that's when I need to, when it gets more than 5%, is it 10%, you know, what is that number? And try and put, so that means you need to be at the micro level and really have an understanding of what things affect this thing. What would, what would make this thing go off the rails? And sometimes you don't not recognize it because you're not thinking about it. One might be you have to bring on a new business. And so that new business, one of those inventory items, you used to have an inventory that are like that are in the pennies. And all of a sudden you bring a new inventory item that's in the dollars. And all of a sudden your inventory goes up significantly, but so do your sales. But again, you're just kind of making sure they don't go off the rails. And what might happen, right, is you inventory in. So your inventory all of a sudden goes up significantly, but your sales still haven't hit yet. And so you're like, wait, what's going on? And so again, I think it's sometimes the KPIs is really just creating that kind of large picture stuff and just knowing what an anomaly looks like so you know where to look or when to look at it. I think that would be my advice. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Bob, for that. So, Ben, I'm coming over to you. Uh, and uh, in your experience, any sort of uh, less meaningful KPIs, I guess, is what I'm going to describe. I don't know if you have seen anything or any sort of controls that you have seen to avoid these issues or, you know, with respect to the anomaly comment that Bob has mentioned. Yeah, no, I mean, I was going to talk more so in terms of kind of some of the anomalies that you had had mentioned and really how to maybe avoid them before they ever yeah. come in. And I think it goes back to the process piece that Bob brought up, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes ago when we were on that topic. But defining really good processes is the first step into having, you know, avoiding some of these anomalies, right? And I think a lot of times what we're trying to do is automate those things out of the system so that you never even have to deal with them, right? So when looking at both data migration from a very initial standpoint of doing a project all the way to ongoing data management, both in and out of the system, right? The more you can automate that and um, the less and less you have to rely on people just typing that data in, the better off you're going to be. And kind of going with that data, right? 
um, also looking at qualitative versus quantitative, right? So a lot of times people are just looking at the data, you know, from a quantitative standpoint and going off some of these KPIs, like you mentioned, Sam, they don't even know what they mean. So how, how am I supposed to make any sense out of a KPI if, you know, I might know what it means and I say, hey, everybody else go look at this really important KPI to make sure that you're doing your job right. And you never trained them how to look at that KPI. They're going to have no clue what it means. If some lines are going up, if every line's going up, they might say, oh, it's perfect. Everything's going up, but your debt might be going up or, uh, you know, something might be going up that you don't want to be going up. Right. So both looking at it from a qualitative and quantitative standpoint, really understanding what those KPIs mean. So I don't really have a top three in terms of like, don't track these KPIs. I would say the top three things I would say for really monitoring the KPIs are make sure that you train people on what the KPIs are look at them quantitatively versus uh, qualitatively, and then try to reduce any of the anomalies that come up, integration and automation, and building the tools that will spot the differences for you so that you don't have to dig into things, right? So again, I talked about some of those things originally, just very basic APAR, bank uh, balances and inventory balances. Those are things you could build a report or build a data point for and just click the button and run every week and not letting it go 12 months before you look at it, looking at it every week and getting it sent to your email or having a pop-up alert that says, hey, this is out of balance. It's really easy to fix one transaction. It's really difficult and time-consuming and ultimately expensive when you have to call one of us that's on the phone to do it, right? Um, It's going to cost a couple hundred bucks an hour and nobody's going to be happy about that. But if you do it proactively, you're going to save a lot of money and headache in the long term. And I think going back to the deadlines as well, a lot of times those deadlines are missed because people don't have enough time, which automation helps with, and things get reprioritized, especially at a small company when you have one controller over all of finance and accounting that is trying to juggle all these things. And then all of a sudden the founder goes, hey, you know, go on this wild goose chase of finding something else. And now they can't close because they're going to listen to whatever the CEO, uh, you know, CEO says or founder says because they're the ones paying their bills, right? So. It's a lot of different things all interacting at once. Um, and I mean, really, you know, if anybody had the secret sauce, they'd be a billionaire because I uh, don't think anybody's figured out the perfect uh, ERP solution that never breaks yet. Uh, a lot of a lot of it comes down to people and process. You can only do so much. Yeah, could not agree more. Thank you so much, Ben, for that. So, Narav, I'm coming over to you. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, when we look at the community uh, in general, you know, especially in the QuickBooks space, right? When you look at these founders and to Ben's comment, uh, when they are doing their accounting, they don't even understand, you know, how the chart of account or how the accounting works for that matter. OK, if they are going to be, let's say, five million dollar business, they are going to send all of their expenses to the accountant. Accountant is probably going to hire a bunch of bookkeepers. Obviously, their costing model is very different as well. Right. So they are not going to have very seasoned bookkeeper who understand every single transaction that you are going to file and they are going to code correctly. But you as the founder are responsible for whatever happens to your books and taxes. That's not your account. So <laughs> talk about the trouble that you are inviting, let's say if you are on QuickBooks, right? So I don't know if you have seen similar scenarios and if you have seen any sort of KPIs control that you can keep as the controller to make sure that you are not going to be in trouble. Nirav, over to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, inventories, that comes to mind, right? A lot of controllers don't even understand what costing methods are. Yep. If you actually have a conversation on what's, you know, standard or average or FIFO or specific, right? There, some are very clueless. Uh, a lot of it comes out during an ERP implementation. You're having this conversation, what's your costing method? You know, half the standard, half is FIFO, half is average, right? Well, you know, I think right then and there is a red flag, right? There's a bunch of obviously mismanagement in the books potentially, but I think if you look at the bigger 
you know, kind of objective of KPIs and whether it's a for a controller or a VP. As an organization, you guys say, what opportunities are we missing? Right. And that could be all different places of the business. Right. If you got to start somewhere, start this track. OK, there's some opportunities that we're missing. And from there, start, set up a good goal for those opportunities. Right. And that goal means, well, you know, let's identify what we want to measure. Right. Let's let's start honing on a specific KPI, a very clear plan and a very clear metrics and data. Are you going to take that information, actually put it to you and improve your processes. Right. Uh, you want to configure your ERP system. To ensure it could support the data flow to get that proper KPI uh, together uh, on there. And then you're going to have a plan to monitor and provide continuous feedback. I think the biggest trap most uh, controllers or VPF finance folks face when they have a KPI out there is a set it and forget it mentality. They just keep running the same thing without really understanding what is, can that actually be better? Can we tighten that up somewhere? Right? What is that feedback plan and how do we make that actually? working more for us and just us reporting a specific number at the end of the day and seeing if that's good for us or not, right? And communicate that, you know, KPI across the organization, right? How are we doing? What's the health of the business overall? A lot of controllers, I feel like, are more firefighters than they are actually adding value to this, right? And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, that they're just so in tune with the ERP system. They're just so in tune on day-to-day and what's happening, right? For example, I was rolling off of a completed an uh, implementation for a project project manufacturer. And this project accountant didn't know how to understand project risk. And to me, that was like a big red flag there. So they never got to a point where they were actually analyzing whether their projects are profitable, at what point are they having waste, where they could remove waste from their projects, because they were still trying to understand the accounting, right? Understand the bare minimum already. So it, it comes down to, you know, how do you set yourself up for success? Be honest about what you don't know. Set up a plan so you start understanding what you don't know and then create feedback loops so what you now know, you could correct and become better at it. And it's a step-by-step process. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Niraf, for that. So, Abu, I'm coming over to you. Any meaningless KPIs, any comments over comments that you might be able to share? So, I think my question was asked, you know, can we, can a controller test every transaction, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, they don't have to test every transaction, but at each month end, if they compare their ledger and sub-ledgers and some of the GL account balances, they'll know very quickly something is off. And then they have to drill down to the exact transaction which is causing it, right? So if you're if you're a company of decent size, then you have auditors coming in, you know, very soon they will know uh, how good are your financial statements, right? They will enforce process control. Otherwise, you'll have a big audit bill at the end, right? If you're not managing your process, so in my opinion, you know, controller absolutely has to know if something is going wrong, right? Whether it's at a transaction level, if he does not have the process and control in place, then, you know, that's not going to work out for him in the long run. Audit's going to come back with a big audit objection that your data is incorrect, right? Or you see it inconsistencies in your data. So that would be my comment uh, on that. On that. Uh, that for controllers, if they look at the right, you know, the, the GL balances and the subledgers, they can quickly figure out what's wrong with the data, right? And then they can drill down to the transaction level if the ERP system supports that uh, reporting capability. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Abu, for that. So we have some more room before we take the closing advice. I think it'll take roughly five minutes. So I have two to three minutes. Uh, do you guys have any comments? Any open floor guys? Anybody? Yeah, I'd like. I want to just go on what Nerva was saying. Is, is I really like this idea too, and this is probably a point that's missed a lot. 
And that is that kind of continuous improvement. I think what gets caught a lot is just like, hey, I've got these month-end clothes, and I did my month-end clothes, and that's all, we, that's all we're concerned about, and everything ties out, and it's great. And there really isn't that enough, I haven't seen in my, my time, is enough of this, but can we do it better? And not just like faster, but like literally like going in there and again, going to this understanding, like what is this data all about? And where are the things that I look at and go, great, everything ties out, but is this really good? Can it be better? And knowing how to look at it. And that is, again, the problem as I've seen at the time is not a lot of people really understand the data. They just go, I know the data is right and I, it all ties out and I've got this thing and, I, and my process is right. That's great. But what are we doing to grow? The, going back to Chris's like original point. What are we doing to grow the business? Like we're just kind of you, you can kind of just keep going and going. And maybe there might one guy going like, hey, guys, I need some more strategy. But at the end of the day, in order to fulfill those strategies, in order to do the growth, you need to improve the business. To improve the business, you understand how you don't understand what those processes, what I can do to improve the business and what that means. And it's, it's, and it's a lot of things, right? It's, it's your throughput. You know, it's the inventory controls. It's it's your cycle times. It's understanding the cycle times. It's also being true to going back to cost accounting, really, on the micro level, making sure that you have the right work orders, right? You know, the whole thing is that your system set up correctly, that you don't just make assumptions to what you think should be happening, because then you run your system thinking, this is what I think is going to happen, and it doesn't really happen, and you're like, don't know why. But the numbers tie out, so I'm good. So I don't mind. Um, so I think Nero really feeling that thing is that's a part for the controllers. Like, can they actually provide things to them, or at least advice? To how do we improve the business, or where are things we can? I know what this means, and how do I build upon this? Yeah, going off your point, Bob, as well. A lot of times, what I see is during the implementation, right? They look at this go live date as a point in time, and then they go, "Okay, we're live. Everything's perfect." And I'm like, "Everything's never perfect at go live." It's far from perfect and it exactly is an iterative process. Like you're always looking to improve and, you know, anybody who says it's perfect at go live is lying to you because there's always something you got to fix. But yeah, just always looking at what can we do better? What can we do more efficiently? And there's always a phase two, always a phase three. So, you know, go live is very continuous. You know, you might go live with financials, but there's still stuff to improve on inventory and other operational areas. So yeah, just always looking to get, you know, 1% 1% better every day compounds on itself, just like interest. And you'd be surprised how far you can get if you do a little problem, you know, every week even. Yeah, could not agree more. Great comments, guys. Any other comments? Two, three. Yeah, go um, live means we're done spending is what they think, Ben. That's the problem. They're like, can you go away, consultant, and get off my meter? And, you know, they're like, the business is able to, we, we, we'd rather just not spend and we'll get, yeah, that's part of the problem. But you're exactly right. Is It's not done. It's not done. And I think as you look at the, the, the problem on reporting and analytics is it's not at the forefront of the thought process during the implementation. It's an afterthought. Hey, gosh, now we're done. Can we print reports? I, I kid you not. You laugh. That is yeah. in the cycle. And you know why? Because when they're going through implementation, well, there's no data. I can't see anything. But it is. It's afterwards. Like, how do I run my report? Should have talked about it earlier. And most good professionals like us, like we get in there and we start talking about what are we driving to in terms of the data so that we do deliver the outcomes of the KPIs? Because, you know, I just had an email. I'm sorry, I'm multitasking. Financial dimensions, right? Hey, how am I going to be able to analyze? 
it's relevant and it's at the front end of the process so that it's the back end at reporting in with great conversation. It's always a support contract. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So. Could not agree more, guys. Uh, so we can take just the closing advice right now, maybe short, three minutes in total, five people. Chris, closing advice? It's the same story. As you get your KPIs and you find the favorite ones, which ones are actionable? Which ones help you move the business? You know, they look, oh, these are good and there's no action. Find some better ones. There's got to be stuff that needs attention, needs action. You're not looking at the right KPIs. If these are all good, that's fine. fine. Get off the complaints, but look for something that helps you. I could not agree more. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Bob, closing advice, please. Again, keep in mind, right, it's, it's the big picture view. And then how do I find the anomalies in the big picture view so I know where to look in the smaller picture? Understanding those so I know where to look and when to look. Could not agree more. Thank you so much, Bob, for that. Ben, closing advice, please. Yeah, go back to data is king for the controller especially. And you have to have that holy trinity of people, process, and technology all working together. Otherwise, you know, if one piece is missing, it's going to be really hard to get the others up to speed. Yeah, great advice. Thank you so much, uh, Ben, for that. Niraf, closing advice, please. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Credits and debits equaling is just the first step. There's a lot more after that. So don't think you that, that that's enough. And you can always do more and improve the business. Could not agree more. Thank you so much, Naraf, for that. Abu, closing advice, please. Um, I think you know, having the financial processes and the data capture processes in place to support your KPI objectives. A lot of companies create the KPIs, but then they realize that the data feeding in those KPIs is either inaccurate or it. Not enough. Could not agree more. Thank you so much, Abu, for that. So that's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another KPI topic. On that note, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks, Sam. Have a great night. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to turnkeytech.com. It's T-U-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn more about Abu Asif, head over to pennymanagement.com. It's P-A-N-N-I-M-A-N-A-G-E-M-E-N-T.com. If you want to learn more about Ben Cole, head over to erpconnectconsulting.com. It's E-R-P-C-O-N-N-E-C-T-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G dot com. If you want to learn more about Niraf Shah, head over to HRSERP dot com. It's A-D-C-I-R-R-U-S-E-R-P dot com. If you want to learn more about Bob Feathers, follow and connect with him on LinkedIn. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.